0: super excited to be doing this patrick uh thank you so much uh ex- yeah uh excited to uh be doing the first live stream and super excited to be getting into the nitty-gritty details of avalanche i ultimately uh i mean i got really interested in avalanche uh through my good friend laura and uh, ultimately she inspired me to uh, go to the avalanche conference and met a bunch of awesome people and eventually uh, got put in touch with Kevin and through that uh, kind of snowballed uh, all my interests. Um, Had a really awesome conversation with Kevin and kind of uh, breaking down Avalanche from first principles. But I would love to kind of start this podcast and conversation with you, just a brief background on how you got into crypto. Um, I know you were at Coinbase for a little bit, but then kind of what ultimately, what, what got you excited about crypto and then what got you excited about Avalanche?
1: yeah sure i'll, I'll give a, a brief introduction here so um you know i uh, i actually grew up in wisconsin so pretty pretty far away from the tech scene in in general uh i uh growing up there i actually didn't know anything about crypto at all uh in the midwest um and then uh when i came out i went to stanford in uh 2014 is when i first got uh, involved with it um so at that time that fall there was actually a uh, uh, a class um, taught by at that time biology, which was pretty funny. funny. Um, I think it was called CS 251P. Um, so it was kind of this uh, side class just about Bitcoin, and everyone took it because you got a free uh, 21 miner. So if nice. you've ever seen one of these i'm trying to figure out how to make it fit it's like a raspberry pie with an asic yeah, uh, built cool. on top of it Nice. <laughs> so i've had this on my desk now for the past like eight years or something just as a reminder <laughs> of like where we've come from and what's what yeah, amazing day. but uh so they had this huge you know shipment of stuff there so we uh um i did that class learned a lot, a lot about what was going on in bitcoin at that time and uh, i was just totally enamored with it um i think the joke i always tell is at that time at, at stanford there were three things you could do it was either ai rockets or crypto <laughs> and um, i tried my hand at ai it didn't didn't really go very well and uh crypto and distributed systems always made sense to me and so i just stuck with that so um you know i learned about it there um i think my faith wavered uh, after the first crash in like the 2015, 2016 a bit, but uh, in 2017, went in full on uh, really getting involved with it and um, after Stanford, um, went to Coinbase. Uh, I uh, took a leave of absence to, you know, play around with different crypto projects at that time. So I actually took a two week break uh, from from school, went to Coinbase, went there, worked there for about a year. and. Nine months or so on a project on the crypto engineering team called Rosetta, uh, which Coinbase uses now to add uh, assets to Coinbase. Um, That was a lot of fun Uh, through that process. Got to meet a bunch of amazing uh, crypto teams uh, at that time. So added a bunch of assets to Coinbase in the process. Um, And then um, through that, uh, you know, really just started to deepen my opinion on uh, what projects I really wanted to work on. And um, at that time is. Conveniently, when kevin uh, reached out to me on twitter asking nice. if i had heard of avalanche and uh, the rest is kind of history but i i left uh coinbase in the beginning of 2021 took a one-day break um and then went to avalabs uh, so i left coinbase on a wednesday and started at avalabs on a friday um and then yeah i have been here been here ever since so beautiful beautiful yeah, so the brief history but now when i go home uh people that hadn't heard of crypto at that time were all like you know should i buy should i do whatever should i when i uh Uh, my rule is never to give anyone advice to buy crypto if if they're asking if they're asking me if they should think about crypto it means that they should go into crypto (laughs) it it takes more conviction than that Yeah. yeah
0: i i made that mistake in the 2017 bull market and i did not repeat that uh this time so uh definitely some learning lessons each cycle but uh awesome no i appreciate the background um, well, let's just dive into it. Uh, you're currently the VP of engineering at Avalabs, uh, in your words, how would you kind of describe Avalanche and how does it make it difference from other kind of layer ones in the space?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, um. L1s right now are, I think, uh, I certainly am not a history major, but one of the uh, more competitive uh, landscapes I think I've ever seen, uh, at least in recent recent history, for sure. Um, and uh, it's interesting where you have a space where the users or the typical people that use it um, are pretty much wholly unaware or and or uninterested in the underlying mechanics. Yeah. And then every single project has war chests in the realm of like hundreds of millions of dollars to compete uh, directly. Um, but, uh, you know, at Coinbase, uh, before I made the move to Avalanche, I got a chance to really dig deep into a number of, you know, of the common projects at that time. And some of the ideas that were coming out, I think around then there was a lot of hype around telegrams, like Tom project, if you remember that with like the mm-hmm. whole like 3d blockchain stuff and everything. But, um, Avalanche to me, uh, when I left and really wanted to do it, I had a few, uh, really high conviction, uh, opinions that matter to me when joining a new project. One of them, first thing, was just speed to finality. I think so much time and effort and like UX has been put into handling you uh, like uh, del- finality that takes on the order of minutes or even like on the order of tens of seconds uh, to make it feel like actual web experience for people. And Avalanche was the first project I saw where finality was really as fast as it felt uh, like on any other web service I'd ever used. Um, And so for me, uh, finality uh, was the first thing that really brought me to Avalanche, but typically other projects that sought the same sort of finality uh, made compromises elsewhere, either by, uh, you know, increasing or decreasing the validator count in some meaningful way. So like, okay, yeah, you can achieve crazy finality with five validators, right? Um, Or by wrap or like kneecapping the virtual machine they were using so that it was, you know, not composable, not, you know, in some way uh, interesting for a lot of different applications. and. Uh, Avalanche had three different virtual machines that were all running at that finality rate that had very different properties, and so for me it was a question of you know finality, distributed uh, participation in consensus. So like how many participants are there? How many people that can actually produce blocks? How many people can you know generally participate in consensus? And then uh, uh, a basically an expressive virtual machine framework whether or not that was the actual virtual machine or on subnets, you can create custom virtual machines. Both of those check the boxes for me. So, um, you know, when we talk about Avalanche, it's both the consensus as well as the platform. And so I kind of had a clear interest in both of those. Um, And most people that come to us, uh, I think to work at Avalabs uh, see the consensus and want to dig deeper and work on something that they uh, have found very interesting just because of how different its properties are from a traditional, uh, you know, PBFT approach.
0: For sure. Now, I I think one of the things that always kind of caught my attention about Avalanche was the ability for uh, the subnets to have the custom virtual machines. I always thought that was fascinating. Uh, So let's kind of break apart some of that. You mentioned uh, fast finality. Ultimately, uh, what kind of enables that on Avalanche um, and why is it uh, uh, pretty fast compared to like other traditional uh, layer one blockchains in the space?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think first off, i will talk about uh, really how it works just to kind of give people a sense Perfect. of what the consensus mechanism is in general. Um, and then I'll go into some of the ways that you know people may consider doing different parts of it separately. Um, so first off, um, Avalanche Consensus is a repeated subsampling protocol. There's this awesome website if you just search like uh, I think it's like Avalanche Simulation by Ted which is the most like visually captivating thing on the One of the most things that I just go back to always and I can just sit there forever and just keep replaying it. But the idea is, um, instead of having a more deterministic consensus protocol where like you have a participant that proposes a block and then all the participants or some super majority of the participants sign, uh, some payload return those signatures to the proposer. And then that block is somehow distributed to the rest of the network. Instead, how it works is, um, participants will just query each other uh, or what we call poll each other um, asking what their preferences are with data that they've seen. So very simply, let's say that I have a group of 20 people um, and uh, I say hey like what do you guys think of uh, of the stuff you've seen And then they return back uh, what's called a chit or their vote of the uh, of what like their current preferences. And so the node then, um, you know, that's doing this poll or or this process says, okay, do I have, uh, you know, what we call uh, alpha uh, over K votes within that poll? And if so, that's considered a successful poll. So like, okay, the, you know, in this case, maybe 15 out of 20 people agree that a certain transitive dependency exists, like, great, that's a successful poll. And then I'll do that again and again and again until I have so many successive polls in a row for the same value. And once that happens, it achieves finality. Now, um, the typical parameters for that are like, you know, 15 successive polls in a row of uh, success sampled of everyone in the network. So the big difference is that on a traditional consensus uh, or like, uh, let me back up, in Avalanche, it's all about subsampling. Mm -hmm. So you don't ask everybody what their preference is. It turns out that if you just ask a small portion of the network and everyone does that again and again and again, you actually have a uh, the whole magic of avalanche is that that leads to this like emergent property uh, of like really quick, uh, uh, basically alignment. And then the nodes based on what they're hearing and the preferences in the network will start to shift their preferences to um, what the majority is. So, and so, so if, if I f-
0: could just repeat it real quick, ultimately, because the I mean, you're not querying all nodes, you're just doing the small sub sampling, they're able to achieve consensus faster, ultimately kind of, um having quicker finality for transactions
1: more holistically strictly speaking like the network uh complexity is less because you have to deal with less people but there's a few properties that come out of that that I'll explain I think why why it's faster in general uh one we issue those polls in parallel so you don't have to like issue one wait issue one wait we actually issue like four at once and then process them when they come back in order so first of all you have this like kind of parallel consensus process going on with just network layer stuff. Secondly, um, we perform authentication with each other uh, in the initial handshake so that when you're actually voting for something, you don't actually have to sign anything. You just respond on a mutually authenticated TLS connection. So there's no overhead of like different cryptographic properties that require you to, to sign it. And then lastly, uh, there's no hot spots so in, a, in other systems where there's a proposer that proposer is in charge of like collecting all the votes and then putting them on the block and then sending it out additionally during that they typically have to send the entire block for you to sign and then you have to send back that signature in avalanche instead how it works is someone just proposes a block and then you start voting on it on your own there is no like central node that like connect like collects all the signatures or collects all the votes and then tells everyone what happened. Instead, everyone just determines for themselves with their own uh, parameters if they choose what is uh, valid. So um, there's this like kind of there's not necessarily the step where they have to send all this data to everyone. They just kind of do it on their own whenever they get it. So
0: that makes sense. And so from the user perspective, ultimately, what what uh, I mean going that was from like the more technical standpoint from the user perspective ultimately what is the user experience derived from like all these technical innovations
1: Yeah, so i mean for for most people what that means is like you send a transaction on most people interact with the c chain and then it's confirmed you know within and the end-to-end finalities in the in the realm of like two seconds so transaction gets included in the mempool mempool's gossip to some validator validator includes it in a block and then finalized so Um, That whole process on average, we have a lot of like telemetry and metrics of this, um, you know, takes takes about two seconds. So once the block actually like a validator actually proposes a block, it's finalized within, you know, 750 milliseconds or so. Uh, But the end to end latency uh, requires, you know, kind of a pre-step. And so that's i'm sure that we can spend a lot of time talking about future optimizations of different things and i think the mempool is one area that a lot of uh, other projects have gotten a lot of interesting uh, results from in the in recent uh, recent months and something that we're uh, definitely going to dive deeper into over the next uh, next few months as well
0: awesome no i, I think that's a, a great walkthrough ultimately uh, so with the subsampling uh you're only reaching out to a couple nodes How long does that uh, kind of finality, or it is final, as you mentioned, in a couple seconds? How long does uh, the subsampling or finality take to propagate to all nodes?
1: Well, so that's the thing: is there is no actual propagation of the finality. Okay. So every node on their own runs the consensus protocol and determines finality when they choose. So now. This is a very interesting thing that we don't really talk a lot about. But when you run Avalanche Go, you determine, you can specify what your consensus parameters are. I see. And then you alone determine that. So for different partners, for example, let's say there's an exchange that's like, hey, like I'll tolerate up to 5% Byzantine node failures. And I just want to uh, against like every possible heuristic optimize for safety. Like I w- I want to be past 33% safe. I just want to like sit there and only wait for like a hyper super like clear uh preference in the network.
0: Yeah.
1: I'll maybe maybe I'll say instead of doing like 15 out of 20 in a poll and 15 consecutive, I'll do 19 out of 20 with 100 consecutive. And so you'll finalize slower because you're performing many more polls, but you mm-hmm. can kind of configure your own safety parameters, which is super weird and interesting and totally different. It's kind of like um, the way with Bitcoin, you determine your finality, like your confirmation depth of like how long you wait for a deposit. Mm-hmm. In the same way, you can kind of have this configurable safety um, when you're running avalanche nodes. Now, um, what that means typically is like, these are just standard messages between each other. Like there's no overhead, right? So like a typical round trip between two validators takes about 150 milliseconds. That's quick so uh, and that's just network that's not us right that's just yep. standard networking packages mm-hmm. in 2022 right it's pretty fast and so uh you just do a simple round trip and then you process uh you know polls in parallel because if you're sampling a huge portion of the network typically your polls don't really conflict at all not that that really matters but um you can just sample more people and then typically get to finality faster so and yeah. for most networks
0: uh they're not doing the subsampling uh, and the network communication overhead is N squared. Uh, What is Avalanche's network communication overhead with uh, subsampling?
1: Um, So the the theoretical uh, assignment is logarithmic, which is why we say that the validator set can grow much larger. And so the uh, reason for that, right, is like, let's say that you uh, have a traditional consensus system. You know, you have a block. That block is then um, you create it. You then distribute that block to everybody in the network, right? all validators for their signature, Mm -hmm. and then they send that block back to you. And then that rotates.
0: Gotcha. And the the key difference there is they're propagating it all to all, which kind of makes the N squared overhead in Avalanche with the subsampling is ultimately uh, able to uh, reach out to fewer nodes and in doing so able to come to consensus faster and have the faster finality.
1: Yeah. So like, in a let's just say in one simple example, right? So it's a two part thing where there's no bottleneck on a single node. That's kind of like running this process. And there's no cryptographic stuff that must be returned for the block to be shared. The second part is, uh, yeah, like, let's just say in a simple case, right? You do 20 polls um, and you query 20 people in each of them. That's like 400, you know, back and forth. Right. Yeah, Um, we have, you know, 13, 1400 validators. So like, even in the case where you're doing these repeated subsampling, you know, in the best case, or like, even in the average case, you're touching a small fraction of the entire population, which is nice. just a super interesting property in general.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I do think it's, uh, uh, from being able to go from N squared to logarithmic is, is a big accomplishment. Um, yeah. ultimately, uh, I think so there's multiple uh, chains as you mentioned on avalanche and i think this is often kind of a big misconception as well a lot of people just fully fully focus on the c chain could you talk about the different uh or the overall architectures and then uh kind of mm-hmm. dive into some of uh subnets as well
1: yeah yeah so i'll give a little primer here i think um the first thing you should note right is like first of all like great that's a whole that's a really nice property to allow that many validators but there's a reason for that outside of just like the decentralization of the system which is which feeds into the subnet story which is if you have all these validators that are part of the primary network and you want them all to run their own validators on their own subnets that are still part of the primary network you need to be able to support a lot of validators yep. <laughs> otherwise you know the subnet story that's connected to the primary network won't, won't work very well so there is an immediate Um, like capability that we have uh, because of the way that Avalanche works, that enables much more interesting kind of subnet architectures in terms of number of participants and, and the way that they uh, can all fit together. But I'll get into that a little bit later, I think. Um, So yeah, the Avalanche is broken into what we'll call like almost like two tiers. There's the primary network, which is we call the primary subnet or really what uh, all validators uh, participate in. So, Most people, this is what they touch. If you're validating on Avalanche, you're pretty much just validating the primary network. If you're using Avalanche, you're probably just using the C chain, which is one of three chains on the primary network. Um, Now, people are like, well, why is it designed that way? First of all, (laughs) and then... Uh, on there, there's a P-Chain uh, that's like the staking chain. So that's not embedded into the C-Chain, for example. And then the P-Chain determines how subnets work, uh, like the membership in them and rewards on them. Um, and so the P-Chain then, you know, governs all these subnets that are loosely connected. But to yeah. be on a subnet, you have to be a validator of the primary network, right? So people are like, there's a lot of complexity, especially when you're starting off, right? So let me back up um, and I have to I have to say a preface this by um, some of these decisions I think uh, you know I didn't come up with these ideas so like I, I joined a little bit after after Mainnet launch so I have to say like a lot of the ideas and uh, some of the brilliance of what we're trying to do here is, is not my doing but I'll do my best to <laughs> recant it um, so on the primary network um, you know if when a new blockchain launches it's typically a really slow uptake. Um, you know because uh you know you have a whole new virtual machine a whole new framework you have to build new explorers you have to build new wallets you have to work with all the integration partners right um at the time avalanche launched uh, obviously there was huge interest in uh the EVM and what you could do with it so um when avalanche was created uh you know there was a desire to get what was needed in there for the subnet story which was the p chain but then also to provide a easier virtual machine to interact with or more popular virtual machine to interact with with smart contracts um in a place that didn't require people to create subnets from day one because like you know if you already only have like 200 validators on avalanche it's a lot to ask to like start to like really split things out and so for an initial growth story and to get people's attention Uh, you know, the EVM was added uh, initially. Now, the unintended consequence of that, I think, was was that everyone uh, started calling Avalanche like an ETH clone, a GETH clone, whatever have you. And uh, don't get me wrong, uh, we're super indebted to the work of the um, Ethereum Foundation and the GETH team and all the stuff they've done, just like a lot of other projects that that support the EVM are. But people, I think at that time, failed to kind of understand that it's VM running in a subnet primary subnet on top of an entirely different consensus entirely different storage entirely different everything underneath Um, and so uh you know over the last you know really since that time uh we've been working on uh improving performance and then shoring up uh all the systems for the launch more of the subnet story um but uh you know people all then also ask uh feel free to cut me off at any of this but uh, the other part i think people tend to ask then the immediate follow-up is like, cool, I get it, right? You have this primary network that has all the validators and I get you have these subnets, people can do their own custom virtual machines with their own tokens, with their own everything, right? But why do they need to validate the primary network? (laughs) And because it's like, you know, Cosmos doesn't need to do that. Like zones are all independent and they kind of connect to each other. Um, and to that, I would say with the current feature set on the network, I can totally understand why people would say that, right? Like the subnets don't benefit in any way from knowing, uh, at least right now about like the membership of other subnets, like what's happening on the primary network, they just kind of care about themselves. So mm-hmm. people are like, well, you know, maybe I could fork avalanche, go rip out everything just run the subnet module. And then, you know, kind of be on my merry way. Um, and, uh, I think. That'll all make sense uh, when uh, the cross subnet messaging protocol. I'm, I'm super
0: excited to uh, talk about the cross subnet stuff. Uh, maybe yeah. on like the ETH stuff initially. So the main C-chain is a instance of the Ethereum virtual machine, the EVM. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, you have and the team have done lots of improvements to speed that up. Um, but the main, I would say, like that is, uh, as you mentioned, kind of how you guys kind of bootstrap the network, but ultimately, uh, going forward, uh, the real kind of not innovations, but like one of the key benefits of avalanche is being able to create your own subnets, um, and, in those subnets or, uh, how would you describe a subnet? I asked Kevin to describe it, but I think, uh, it'd be uh, awesome for you to have it describe it in your words. And then maybe kind of like the pros and cons of like an individual subnet as well.
1: Yeah, so I mean, subnets in a sense are just a, a some subset of avalanche primary network validators. That's it. That subnet um, is has uh, you know the validator set is controlled by the p chain, and the reason for that is any node that joins the network then knows who's participating and who they should reach out to if they want to discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, but subnet itself, in the proper term, is just the validators that are participating some group, and then on a subnet you can instantiate any number of chains. And a chain is just an instance of some virtual machine so um you know you the for example this is why i come back to the primary network right the primary network is just a subnet with three chains from three different virtual machines
0: mm-hmm.
1: most popular subnets like dfk for example are a subnet with their validators on it with one chain um which is uh running an instance of a virtual machine we call the subnet evM which is a like basically a forked version of ETH, uh, which is you know derives a lot of stuff from from go ethereum and so you could for example add multiple evms to a single subnet if you wanted to but the hierarchy is very much like you have a group of validators that's your subnet the subnet then can have multiple chains those chains are just instances of some virtual machine or binary and that is communicated uh, with Avalanche go and so it just handles all of the management of all these virtual machines kind of running concurrently. So in a sense, it's almost like a little mini like container runner or like a, you know, like almost like a web three version of AWS in a sense where like you have a, you know, a subnet that like runs all these random virtual machines that are user generated. And then all Avalanche go provides is a consensus plugin. So the interface that a VM gets is like, hey, here's this blob of bytes, parse it as a block. Tell me if it's valid. Okay, you think it's valid? Now mm-hmm. verify it. So execute what's going on and make sure the state transitions are correct. And then the consensus says like, accept or reject, um, and then, you know, Outside of that, you can do whatever you want, right? Like you want to define the blights however you want, good to go, you know, but I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves in terms of just just, just subnets. And
0: going back to like the user application standpoint of this, what ultimately Mm -hmm. uh, the subnets allow is a lot more customization because you can customize the virtual machine and then you can have your own individual subnet if you would like. Uh, So you can tailor that to whatever needs you desire. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people
1: talk about this where like you know there's a lot of different approaches now to you know trying to achieve some form of scalability while you know balancing that with the ability to customize different parts of the experience right so if you do want to provide all your own validators and maybe you want to provide your own security which some people you know have a lot of interest doing uh, a subnet's a really good option because you can determine the native fee you can determine the state transition rules you know it's so really if you can compile it into a binary, technically it'll work. So like that's your, you know, that's your constraint. Um, yeah. And I think in some other cases, uh there's much more strictness on terms of what you can actually do and like what things you have to have. And our whole purpose with Avalanche Go, or, or really the goal, is what's the lowest level interface we could provide for people to build or like run binaries for some point that yeah. borrow some form of networking and consensus. And uh you know, one thing that we're really excited about providing is a more opinionated SDK that sits on top of that. So that when someone's thinking about, okay, I want to create my own chain, it may be like, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I can do it from scratch. But <laughs> if I don't want to, like, is there some great form of tooling I can use to build on top of? And I think, you know, the Cosmos team has done a great job with the Cosmos SDK, Rapid Tendermint. I think we would look to do something similar with like, you know, an included database and included, you know, account management, included, you know, signature verification, because We've rewritten that almost every time that we've done our own yes. virtual machine, and so it'd be great. I I understand the creator's question when they're like, "Yeah, like, do you have a thing that keeps track of balances?" Like, well, <laughs> kind of. <Yeah. laughs> so yeah. awesome.
0: Um, cool. Maybe uh, just to wrap this kind of like overarching conversation of Avalanche up, and then we can get into some of the new uh things that you've just released. Um, what. In kind of your words, I think there's still, like, two main, like, kind of focuses of scaling today. Uh, Mm -hmm. One is kind of more the modular architecture that, say, Avalanche and Cosmos are trying to pursue. And then the other one is still, like, the monolithic architecture. Uh, could you like compare and contrast those in your words and, uh, why like avalanche has specifically chosen to go the modular route and why it thinks it's advantageous.
1: Yeah. I mean, for in my opinion, I think it all comes back to uh, a single shared state, you know, I think generally speaking if it was possible to have one massive state for every possible computation, anything anyone was doing, that'd be ideal, right? Like imagine infinite composability and everything right there. But we know that that's been a bottleneck so far, managing like a single state that large and updating it accordingly, like having a canonical state across, you know, one large virtual machine.
0: And what would be the bottleneck in that
1: instance? Um, So most times uh, people that have that large of a state, you know, are trying to, uh, you know, authenticate it or not authenticate it, but as much as like hash it or like have a Merkle tree or some sort of tree or some sort of hash that represents its current state, maintaining that data structure on top of an ever growing state ends up being a really, really complex thing to do. And people are doing a lot of cool stuff to improve that and, you know, maybe do different approaches to it. Um, But uh, you know, I think uh, Peter Schlage from the Get team had a fantastic presentation he did at DevConnect this year where he talked about the um, inherent bottleneck just in trees in general with how uh, how they're, you know, how they work with databases and how they work with blockchains in specific. So to paraphrase him, think of it this way. You have a tree, let's say that's some level of depth that represents the state on your project, even with the best stuff like a path based storage Merkle tree or anything if you want to modify, let's say two accounts and you have a huge tree, okay? And each, like each trie is like, each tray you is persisted to disk. Yep. So let's say that they're just on two separate sides of the tree, let me see if I can get my, yep. Goodness, yep. right? And they're on two different sides, right? Let's say that it's seven layers deep okay. and you modify one and then you modify an account on the other side, right? you'll have to rewrite one, two, three, four, five, six, seven nodes on one side. If you're hashing um, the, tr- the nodes all the way up. Yeah. Um, if you're not doing path-based, right? But just traditional, this is like what, what people traditionally have done where mm-hmm. you hash each tray and then if the tray node changes, you rewrite it. Um, so seven and then seven again. So that's like more or less like 14 reads and 14 writes to yeah. do one simple transfer right so the overhead gets kind of crazy as you start to um, manage these large ever ever and larger trees so like is it possible to have a huge state yes but to authenticate it in an interesting way so that other people can state sync up to it is a much more difficult challenge that I think people have really glossed over in a sense um, so a lot of new work has been going to like okay um you know if we're doing path based storage like can we store things more efficiently for this and stuff but at the end of the day, if you're generating a root hash of all the state that's going on on a block by block basis, which is what most projects do, some some have started to do periodic batching to like reduce this overhead, and that's what people tend to do. Um, but uh, you know you have a lot of overhead of just maintaining this structure. So like a breakthrough in this sort of space would be you know huge for everybody. Yeah. Um, but um, generally speaking, um, a large composable state has a premium. Yeah. it's more expensive and so if you have many um, parallel states so like in the case of like a uh, you know horizontal scaling with subnets you have tons of tiny little spaces rather than one massive space and because of that you can kind of remove um, some of that overhead depending on what's going on and you can kind of tune things accordingly so the way i think about it is yes in an ideal world would it be great if we just had one monolithic chain and monolithic state that everyone could access at any time 100%. It'd be fantastic. But if you want to um, minimize the burden for individual validators to participate, and then um, make sure that they only maintain the minimal amount of state necessary, and then within that, um, each subnet or chain or whatever like that only has to like kind of hash in for any activity, only the stuff it cares about um, you can start to save, uh, in general across the entire board on the system. So the, sense the, sense. the thing you give up though, is the composability, right? Yeah. Like, okay, now if I want to interact between two subnets, you just made that way harder yeah. <laughs> than the way it was if you For just had sure. one a single state. So I think the real question in the next couple of years of blockchains will be, does that play out? So, you know, I think, uh, Apto, Sui, you know, Solana are pursuing like the whole view of having a single state and then you have you know the polka dot the cosmos avalanche that are pursuing um you know this like kind of uh heterogeneous state story um, yep. so yep. it'll be really interesting to see what ends up uh being the the um the approach that that uh captures most of the mindshare
0: no i am fascinated as well the the state definitely uh does get very large on those changes and then it is a lot of historical data as well. So uh, I appreciate uh,
1: that's a a whole nother aspect (laughs) of it, right? Is like, okay, (laughs) you can keep the state required to validate, but then the archival thing, you know. Yeah. After (laughs) a hundred. Yeah.
0: No, it it does get, uh, it gets pretty difficult. Um, Cool. But I appreciate you breaking that down and uh, comparing them. Uh, Let's talk about some of the new stuff. Avalanche has recently launched. Uh, You have recently kind of written, the Avalanche team has posted a new medium post kind of outlining a lot of the changes that you guys just published to the network. Could you walk us through what those are and uh, the results of them?
1: Yeah. So um, I think uh, for the most part, this has been uh, something that we've been looking forward to uh, probably my entire time I've been here. So it's, it's it feels good to ship. It's, it's so like, I think before I hop on this podcast, I think five minutes beforehand, I clicked the button to ship the mainnet release code. So nice, congrats. I, could, <laughs> I want to get that done before this, so I could focus <laughs> you know, just, just on this. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I won't mince words and say, I think this is the biggest release from a functionality perspective that we've ever put out. Congrats. Um, And why I say that is very simple. So when the network originally went out, subnets were out in a simple form, more or less a proof of authority form. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, subnets are cool and interesting and stuff, but, you know, they're controlled by a single individual. And that individual determines who can be a validator on that subnet. So for example, a lot of the popular subnets, right? Have some form of a control key or like, let's say just an administrator of the subnet that determines who can become a validator. And is this the vision we, the final vision we had for like all subnets? Like fuck, like of course not, right? Yeah. Like, and people are like, wow, you know, subnets like cool stuff, but like it just falls short of the vision. And to us it's like, oh God, it's, it, you know, it, it really just pushes us further to get something out. So yeah. um, the vision obviously is that anybody at any time can like launch their own full network uh, really as a as a subnet on Avalanche. And to do that, you need to have proof of stake validation. Mm-hmm. Um, so in uh, the in the most recent release, we released something called Elastic Subnets, which adds permissionless uh, validation and rewards to subnets. Which means that if I wanted to today, or at least uh, in two weeks on mainnet, but today on on testnet, I could create a token, create a subnet, and then require that people have to stake that token on that subnet to become a validator. This is all run by Avalanche Go. So you as a virtual, this is some of the stuff we do, right? Like if you're running a virtual machine, uh-huh. you don't even know that this is happening. It's not even a part of what what's going on. And then you get rewarded if you're up for some percentage of time on that subnet. All of this is handled externally to the virtual machine. So when you're launching a virtual machine, you can do literally anything. And then as long as you're up, you can get rewarded. So let's say that you wanted to generate like a blockless virtual machine or like a P2P virtual machine that just Mm -hmm. did like periodic gossip and you wanted to keep track of people that were online and then reward them for that. The system will now, you know, can provide that capability. So for us, it's like a whole, you know, quantum leap in where Avalanche can go now, um, now that it's totally open. So in a sense for people that, you know, maybe aren't familiar with some of our terminology, it's the equivalent of, you know, let's say that you um, previously you were the one that controlled all the tokens, and then you staked uh, all the people that were going to participate, and that mm-hmm. was how it worked. Yeah. Now you can kind of distribute the staking token or the weight, and then people can uh, validate as they see fit on the right. subnets. Very cool. And so we haven't because it's been such a large thing and we've spent so much time on it. We haven't had enough time to like, you know, prepare all the cool tutorials and documentation and I can assure you that's coming, uh, very soon, but we're, we're very excited to uh, see this uh, kind of out the door. Um, and for the, the astute reader, you'll find that the uh, the transaction that we added to enable this um, includes an argument for a BLS uh, public key, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that uh, should give, maybe play our hand a bit in terms of what we are seeking to do. But yeah. uh, you know, from from a protocol perspective, we are now unblocked um, from the cross uh, subnet story a little bit more
0: nice congrats Now that's a big accomplishment and uh, it, it always feels good once you ship something uh, <laughs> get it out the door um, so congrats again um, And so the main uh, could you maybe just like rearticulate in like one or two sentences like from the user perspective or the node operator perspective again mm-hmm. why this is such like
1: a big accomplishment So on avalanche you can now stake on multiple chains at once. and get rewarded for that so multiple different subnets yeah so let's say that you're you know an astute set like a a astute validator and you're like hey you know i want to generate uh you know i think let's say i'll give you a very simple example i'm a validator i tend to think i'm a good validator right and i think that um, i could use my uh you know you know experience validating to help other subnets get off the ground and then be rewarded for that Well, in the past, I would have to go to that subnet and say like, hey, like, I'd like to validate. Do you trust me? Mm -hmm. Like, will you add me as a validator? Which is like the whole point of crypto, right? Is This is not necessary. So but that's how it used to work. Now I can just go buy up, you know, or do whatever I want with some of the token related to that subnet and then just stake it just like I would stake on any other network. And I can now participate in that subnet. Yeah, that's huge. Like, there's no way that we go from you know, us double digit validations on a particular subnet into the hundreds or thousands without actually providing the true like proof of stake functionality. So uh, we expect in the next few months, we'll see subnets rapidly decentralize and, you know, have much larger validator sets and everything. Nice. So yeah, we're, uh, you know, I think we're very, uh, we pay attention to what people say, right? And I think that generally a lot of the critiques of subnets thus far has not been their speed or the performance or anything like that, but it's been, you know, cool 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 but there's only like 10 people validating that yeah like does that bother you and <laughs> so the answer is yeah of course it does both, everyone would love to see more but the mechanism for adding that I don't think has been there but now it is nice um, also awesome. I think you know as we add more functionality uh, the clear benefit for users is you can now stake or delegate on subnets which can make subnets way more interesting for the people creating them mm-hmm. and then secondly um your funds uh and you know everything you do on that subnet will be can basically protected by much more many more validators yeah
0: awesome very cool uh awesome um maybe moving the conversation a little bit forward uh one thing when i was speaking with kevin was talking more about like the virtual machines and uh kind of exploring the design trade-offs um and different uh kind of world of what are performant virtual machines it's kind of been interesting now uh just even like this last year (laughs) seeing like ethereum kind of be and still is like the the most dominant virtual machines but people continuing to explore like more parallel processing virtual machines could you talk about uh avalanche Mm -hmm. and its ability i mean we spoke upon it initially but uh to create custom virtual machines but how you guys are kind of thinking about uh the virtual machine space and avalanche
1: yeah so um for me i think the there's a lot of aspects of the custom virtual machine story whether it's technical or actually like more organizationally and um, kind of resiliency so i think the the one thing that i think is super underappreciated about the way custom virtual machines work in general and being able to deploy them on subnets is it's much easier for us to iterate on all sorts of interesting virtual machine designs without actually like impacting uh, a production network. Yeah. So, yeah. for example, you know, if I had a monolithic chain and I wanted to totally change the way something worked, sure, I could do all my testing and do everything. And, yeah. and At some point, you have to launch it, right? So, you yeah. put on a dev net, you put on a test net, right? That takes a lot of effort to do yep. that and make sure it doesn't break, right? Like, cause if you try something and then like, oh shit doesn't work, like, you know, people lose their shit. They're like, it's not stable. Everything you guys do is a joke, right? Um, and so you have to be really careful um, with subnets. You can take the exact same virtual machine framework that you may run on, you know, the main net or on your subnet, spin up a subnet, try it out, like get people to use yeah. it, do whatever. And then if it doesn't work, you just, forget about it like it never happened, and start over, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, at least from the inspiration of like what you can do with virtual machines and subnets, it's huge for developer productivity. Mm-hmm. Now, people may not realize, um, because we haven't really talked about it publicly, but we will in the future, um, some of the stuff we're doing on virtual machines, right? So initially, most people have seen that the common virtual machines on Avalanche are just EVM variants in some way. Um, that's uh, again not really our goal or end goal as much as it's just where people are today and mm-hmm. uh, we found that with our current size and everything like that it was much more efficient for us to um just support an existing you know virtual machine project rather than to like build it entirely from scratch which is you know extremely complicated and expensive to do right um so uh but uh now that we've you know gotten further along in the story of, of what we're doing uh we have turned our attention back to the virtual machine side and so um, we now have a team of, you know, quite a few people that are working on Rust-specific uh, stuff. And so in the next two weeks or so, um, you know, don't hold me to that, <laughs> we plan to release the uh, Rust SDK for nice. building virtual machines. And so uh, for people that have been like, oh, you know, I want to play around on a subnets, but I'm a big Rust fan. Uh, you'll now be able to build your virtual machine entirely in Rust um, and then run that on top of Avalanche. Um, because of the way virtual machines work, like I mentioned with different binaries and things, it's, you know, totally separate as a, just, if you can compile it, you can probably run it (laughs) as a setup, right. Um, but the interface that virtual machines bring about, uh, is very low level, like I mentioned. So compared Mm -hmm. to like, I think other virtual machine frameworks, which have very strict ideas of like how you should interact with the state tree, you know, like where your virtual machine may be called during the block production process, um, ours is much lower level. So instead. You know, you you get to, you basically the engine will say you parse this block, verify, accept or reject. But then you also have full control of the subnet's networking library, so you can send arbitrary messages between other validators on your subnet okay. for anything. So like, oh, you want to gossip things in a certain way, like send really? blob bytes. Yeah. So hmm. we haven't really talked about it much, um, but this is exactly so how we build different things. So like we built state sync on top of this arbitrary blob transport layer exposed in the virtual machine interface. So I think for people that wanna build things, we just don't have great documentation or SDKs yet that wrap a lot of this functionality. But if you're trying to build a virtual machine and you wanna go like as low as possible, I firmly believe there is like no better place to build than on top of our virtual machine interface because it just lets you do pretty much anything. The gas isn't metered, like there's no compute meter. So like you don't have to like format things in a certain way. You don't have to even use the database provided by Avalanche Go. You could like call out to a SQL database. You could put it in S3 buckets. (laughs) Like it's totally in your control. All it has to do is just run.
0: Yeah, so ultimately you can control the networking messaging because of the customization of the virtual machine and you can design the virtual machine however you want from scratch. And yeah. ultimately, because you can pretty much have infinite amount of subnets, you can be able to iterate faster with much uh, many different designs. Ultimately- like I, I think I've
1: built around 200 subnets and about <laughs> four of them exist still. Nice. To give you some, some concept of what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah.
0: Very cool. Um, ultimately, what... Uh, like, do you think the industry will kind of end up in more like parallel, paralyzed virtual machines, or do you think they will be more like single threaded and trying so, mean, to get your thoughts?
1: So We're working on some stuff uh, internally, obviously, as <laughs> I would imagine most people are around parallel execution. Um because we don't have to, you know, when we start building on our version machine interface from scratch, like there's no constraint, right? Yep. So you can just start from scratch. So an idea, you know, you can explore, right, is let's say that you wanted like a hyper-transfer optimized version machine. Mm-hmm. In that case, you know all the keys that will ever be touched during block execution without any extra work, like, you know, uh, from two. Yeah. All right, you got two database keys and now you have a thousand transactions during the parsing phase, you can completely separate all the execution out into different compute groups yep. without any overhead, and then start prefetching the state. Now, if you have smart contracting, it's obviously dramatically more complicated, mm-hmm. right? Like you have to understand what keys you're going to touch, like do a bunch of prefetching, you know, work. And I think a lot of projects have spent a lot of time trying to figure out the best way to do that. Even the EVM added access list um which will let you specify the keys that you're going to touch during execution you get a small discount if you do that um because it you know it will help with stateless execution and everything like that in the future um but uh you know I think for me parallel for a lot of use cases makes a whole hell of a lot of sense um Mm -hmm. I think that's not a hot take (laughs) by any means um I think that Uh, With Avalanche and the generic uh, way the VM library works is like you can you're empowered to build parallel execution environments um, for your specific use case, Mm -hmm. which if it's not super generic, maybe much simpler than uh, super generic uh, like smart contracting engine. That makes sense.
0: Cool. Yeah. No, I'm. Uh, I've always been fascinated by Avalanche's ability to do the custom virtual machines, and I did not know that you could also do the custom networking. So, uh, yeah, the interface
1: that. for that, because I've talked to a lot of people that have said the same thing. Like, wait, you could do what? Yeah. So, like, the way it works is you literally just say like "app send," and you say the node ID. Interesting. And that's the entire interface. Yeah. It just goes, so you very don't have to worry cool. about like when I say networking, I'm not saying like, oh, you have to implement this fancy yeah. like. Send bytes to this person or gossip bytes to all validators. Yep. Those are like your options. Okay. So, and then you can have a, like a clear request response and a, the Avalanche networking interface will handle like all the request IDs for you, failures, timeouts, all that's managed for you. So you just have this super simple, what looks like a function interface to say, ask this person for something. Great. I got something. Yeah. So it's it's a really awesome primitive for building really cool p2p applications yeah, no, i call no, it like the, almost like the p2p factory but that, it's yeah. really not uh there's a lot of branding i think we can do better to uh, <laughs> make people aware of what you can do with it uh, yeah, and i think yeah. that will come in the next few months but, i, I
0: yeah. I've, I've definitely always been extremely impressed by avalanches the entire team uh technical capability i think sometimes it is hard uh for the general population to be able to follow along with like how does the tech ultimately Uh, transfer to the user applications or even like the engineering like uh and kind of some of the simplicities that you guys ultimately do but uh super excited again about like all the stuff that you guys are doing maybe uh to keep going uh how would you uh i think a lot of people today are uh like or the cosmos verse just happened but how would you kind of compare again like uh, some of the stuff that avalanche is doing to like cosmos or even like a layer two or a parachain uh, because yeah. I think other people also have a hard time understanding the differences and some of the nuances between each of those
1: yeah I mean I think uh, by far and away that's probably the common question we get asked I think that in the space now there's such a small number of projects that are uh, really you know legitimate and doing really great stuff that the especially like sought after ones get a meeting with all the top folks they exactly. like hear their pitch right and yep. understand like okay you know you, you hear the pitch of like monolithic l1 you hear the pitch of like yeah. l2 you hear the pitch of you know the cosmos zone you hear a pitch of Avalanche subnet and then you're left to somehow pick uh, what makes sense um, and I think for different projects, uh, there are certain capacity, like certain components of it that are, you know, really useful. Like for example, um, if you don't want to run your own nodes and don't provide your own security and don't want your own virtual machine, you know, taking something that's much more polished off the shelf or that provides just a standard execution experience you're used to can be super nice, right? Like if you just want to do what you do on ETH, but cheaper, you know, L2s are great for that. Yeah. Like I, I don't. Don't disagree whatsoever. Um, but if you want to build uh, you know much deeper applications and use your own token and provide your own security and you know run your own nodes that are optimized for your use case, um, you know you have to go deeper and you have to take a deeper stab at it. So um, you know subnets in a sense, uh, I think the thing I'll add here is that uh, the way that uh, at a high level the cross subnet messaging story will work and the part why I need to tell this is it makes sense to actually compare them when you have at least some understanding of what, of what, where we're going or what's coming as a part yes. of this. Um, but simply put, um, all virtual machines in Avalanche know the validator sets of all other virtual machines. Okay. Very simple, okay? No overhead. It's just provided in the block execution context by Avalanche Go. All that data is stored on the p-chain, so everyone knows it for every block execution on every subnet. Straight up. And so if every subnet validator has uh, you know a key associated with them, you can trivially verify any message you get from another subnet with no, you know, what I'll call like housekeeping overhead or mm-hmm. bookmarking overhead or anything like that. So let's just say very simply, right? Like you're on subnet A And the validators in subnet A um, use their aggregatable signature to sign something uh, and then pass it along to another subnet. That subnet can without anything from the other subnet verify that that message is authentic. Okay. No one else does that right now because you have this root of trust that you, everyone already is aware of and then uses for these like interactions. So you can end up having like a high throughput, um, messaging protocol between subnets uh, that's entirely generic so you know we don't have a standard message format we don't have any of that um you know you can just produce arbitrary signatures and then use them anywhere within subnets Mm -hmm. so like oh you want to interact with subnet blah 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 that has a totally virtual different virtual machine if the subnet a knows what it wants it can send it we would expect different protocols to implement different messaging standards um you know probably as a result but uh our vision is more the lower level, like we enable that. And then yeah. different virtual machines that find it interesting can use it. So when to back up and why we're comparing this is that, um, if you have this like multi zone or like multi like heterogeneous state world, um, the thing you need to replace composability, if you're not going to provide that as a single state,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it better be really easy and fast and quick to interact between the different state zones. Yeah. And so subnets, uh, you know, when this is rolled out will provide that awesome um and so people come to us and say like well yeah like there is no subnet interop story there is no you know whatever and it's like no <laughs> there is there always has been like subnets as separate zones that don't talk to each other that just are randomly connected to this to primary network doesn't make a whole lot of sense like it's not very coherent if that if you ex you know if you think that that's our where, where we've ended up and that's what we're going with uh like no, like we have much deeper uh, aspirations for what we're doing. And so subnets, how they compare in that form with cross-subnet messaging to other people is if you're trying to move messages all over the place, um, how they compare, for example, a parachains where parachains all the messaging actually flows through the relay chain, like that's its whole point outside mm-hmm. of rotating validators around on different parachains. Um, you know, there's a lot of overhead then because message passing has to go through there. With Cosmos zones, you have to pass the relayers have to keep headers in sync on every end of the connection because they serve as light clients of each other. So you have this overhead of passing headers back and forth all the time and then messages on top of that Um, with subnets and the interop story that is there and, you know, will come soon. Is that there's no overhead. You can just take a message and then verify it um, just as fast as you can verify an aggregate uh, BLS signature. Nice.
0: And so, without that overhead, that is kind of uniquely enabled by Avalanche. What are the properties from the user standpoint?
1: So, for the user, it's like you're on Subnet, you know, whatever, and you want to go somewhere else. You can do that in a matter of you know single-digit seconds. So it should gotcha. be in the order of two, three seconds to move between uh subnets
0: so it'd be the same type of finality as like a single subnet
1: well so the way it would take is you you wait for finality on one subnet and then you include that in another so let's say that if the end-to-end finality on a subnet is five seconds it it should take 10 seconds to move between between subnets interesting fully finalized
0: yeah and so and just, Avalanche's kind of point of view and all of this is just enable that functionality and let third parties be able to come in and create that like subnet to subnet communication
1: or is Avalanche going to build that in-house we are going to provide like a you know a useful example of, of actually doing it like it'd be one thing for us to just be like the keys are there man like good luck yeah. it works just yeah. like yeah, we're going to go further than that Okay. Um, but we expect people to have alternate implementations that use the same primitives I mean, the way we look at engineering at some point is is almost like two levels, right? There's primitive platform engineering. And then on top of that, you have, you know, what are virtual machines that you can end up building that use all those primitives. When we develop anything, our main goal is primitives, as many as possible, as powerful as possible, and then leave it up to virtual machines to use those in a way that they find interesting. Because the whole point is like, you know how to build your virtual machine better than we do. We'll yeah. provide you tools, but like the whole point is that we want to enable you to do things that you can't do elsewhere. Um, and so when we're thinking about virtual machines, when we're thinking about comparing to other people, we say like, what do they provide? And typically they have, you know, some really full featured SDK, but if you don't use that SDK, it's not possible with us, you can, well, we're working on an SDK you can use that has these higher level primitives that are like, oh, that's more opinionated, but you by no means don't need to use it. Yeah.
0: Okay. Very cool. Awesome. Uh we've touched upon a lot uh kind of the general overview of Avalanche kind of the new things that you've uh launched recently uh the differences between like Cosmos parachains uh um L2s even uh the different trade-offs uh subnet to subnet communication um and even I think we touched upon scaling is there anything that we've missed out on the technical aspects uh outside uh that you want to touch upon
1: yeah i mean i think the only other thing i would touch on is um i think another question we get um is you know okay cool you have these subnets but then what happens when subnets hit their capacity mm-hmm. they're like oh you know like uh cool cool, cool you just move the problem <laughs> to another place but it's the same problem right um and uh, the thing i i want to touch on that a, a bit which is um you know our goal with subnets on a performance level basis is not to take inefficient virtual machines and just m- allow more throughput by having more inefficient virtual machines, which you yep. could do, that would be a cop out. Like, yes. you know, if I had a, a virtual machine that just did transfers, but it would did like super dumb stuff and, you know, it, it was only going, you know, like two TPS, right? Like, and I just made a million of them. Yeah, I could get 2 million TPS, yes. but like, is that really what you want? Probably not. Um, so instead, our goal more so is, okay, um, let's optimize the shit out of everything and then have N number of those also mm-hmm. working. So we're already, that's our main goal. But then within that, um, within a subnet, uh, you have this multi-chain primitive, right? So uh, you can have multiple chains within a single uh, single subnet. Um, the really interesting thing you can do is because each chain has a separate state you can actually run uh, each chain on a separate host with separate storage, with separate networking. And so you can actually create avalanche go as a cluster Hmm. rather than a single binary. So you can scale out, not just, um, the consensus process of a single chain, but then once you're at a chain's capacity, you can scale out horizontally that way so that you have each chain. So that's, uh, running on its own host with its own networking. And so then you only need to synchronize within the subnet for movements between those chains within the subnet, which because all validators are there, you don't actually need to do like a cross subnet transfer or anything. It's just sharing state between them. Like you have a single thing, but like a simple key value store between them, that they just read out to once in a while. Yeah. Um, so what that enables is like, let's say that you're some crazy gaming company. You could have a chain for a region close to you. You could have a chain for like Asia, you could have a chain for, you know, whatever. And then for only certain cases, you can move between those. But then every time you wanna launch a new region or launch a new game, you can create another instance of a chain um, and then put that on an entirely new host or entirely new state store. Um, so that's something that we're, we'll look into like kind of towards the beginning of next year. Um, but uh, you know, I think a lot of the stuff that we're doing Will make a lot more sense to people in a span of like two to three months. I think we've been doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes the last year, year and a half or so. That um, you know, I think we're we're transitioning a bit to uh, be a little bit more public about some of the development that we're planning to do, so that people are more aware of what we're actually yeah. up to behind yeah. the scenes. Because we we're some, you know, to the credit of everyone on the team, some brilliant people, um, and I think a lot of the work. It's kind of a weird thing when all your work you've been doing for like a year is not public or no one even knows it exists right and then you know you see all the stuff people talking about and yeah. um, so you know hold us to that you know we we are very excited to to uh, you know work more with the community and share more of what we're working on so people have a better understanding of you know we're we're very interested in the stuff a lot of people are interested in um and think that our engineering efforts uh you know when they come out in the next few months or so will will clearly indicate that
0: Awesome. Well, uh, again, super excited kind of for your recent launch and then ultimately for uh, the stuff that you're continuing to enable. Uh, How I I would ask, like, uh, I think a lot of people are interested in the Avalanche ecosystem. Uh, I'm super excited. I think you guys just announced that you guys are going to do a hacker house in the Bay Area. Uh, Definitely really excited for that. Outside of like coming to like this hacker house and future hacker houses, how can people get more involved or opportunities for collaboration with the Avalanche ecosystem?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think, uh, you know, we, uh, have been working on, uh, building out a whole new team to help facilitate, like, I think a better connection with the community. Um, but, in, you know, in the next few months, you can look forward to us, uh, kind of opening up a proposal program of sorts, uh, for people to like better communicate and, you know, kind of, uh, discuss different changes that could be made or different things that could be done. Um, uh, Right now, the best way to get involved is to hop in Discord. We have a super active Discord of people suggesting different things, like whether the virtual machine research or whatever. If you're a project looking to build something and plan to, you know, we always create different like Slack connect channels between Ava Labs and, you know, whatever you're you're working on uh, to try and support you as much as we can. Um, and then, uh, you know, we have our own like call to action things, which is, we would love to create a virtual machine dedicated just to ZK proving, nice. um, and like, it'd be super cool to work with people on that. You know, we'd love to see virtual machine SDKs in other languages. I think as soon as we ship the rust SDK, which is like totally defined on its own, it'll be much easier to copy that and create like a C++ wrapper or, uh, you know, I don't, I don't dabble in some of the other stuff, but like you job, know, JavaScript, Python, <laughs> you know, whatever you want. Right. Um. So for us, the best way to get in contact is, yeah, do that. And I forgot to plug the Avalanche Creates project. So thank you for reminding me on that one. But uh, yeah, in Berkeley, uh, towards the end of October, you know, we'll have a, an event. Um, and this is a new series we're doing where we're traveling around the world. And instead of providing like a really quick hackathon sort of thing, like come in when win, win surprises disappear, never see you again, The idea is to kind of create a rotating, um, like kind of incubator project, closer to like a Y Combinator than uh, like a hackathon thing. So we'll bring, you know, different VCs in the area, we'll bring different support from Avalabs and the community to help you get your ideas off the ground, let alone just like kind of technical stuff because Turns out, as much as I may not like to think so, a lot of doing things in in the technology requires all sorts of other aspects of yep. you know, legal, uh, like <laughs> business, like a, a lot, marketing lots of things
0: business. behind the scenes. I've been learning that as well too. <laughs> yeah. So um,
1: for me, or someone that's you know much more engineering minded, um, it should be a great uh, experience for people to come and learn a little bit more about what you should think about or. Uh, mingle with like-minded folks that maybe aren't as technically gifted but want to support uh you know your project in other ways
0: perfect awesome uh i did just chat check the chat uh it is live which is cool Uh, i don't know if that was going to work or not um now now we know (laughs) yes a a couple (laughs) questions from the chat and then maybe we can kind of wrap it up uh it says can you say a word about bsl uh signatures for those who aren't gigabrains?
1: Yeah. <laughs> but first of all, uh, we had nothing to do with their development or their, you mm-hmm. know, uh, production and in the last few years. So, uh, you know, huge shout out to the researchers. I think some of some some amazing cryptographers. I always joke around about crypto being just like the most absurd, one of the most absurd things humans have ever <laughs> Like The yes. stuff you can do with it is just absolutely insane. Right. Yes. And yeah. Um, I, for one, do not, I am not smart enough to understand how to develop new cryptography, but I feel like I can appreciate just something really, really cool. Mm -hmm. BLS is that. Um, And so BLS is a project, or really not a project, Jesus, um, a curve um, of cryptography that lets you do aggregated signature verification. So very simply, let's say uh, Logan and I um, both have, uh, you know, a public-private key pair of BLS. Um, I, I forget the name of the BLS stands for the people that came up with this. So you'll have to look at that. Uh, there's two BLSs actually, so don't get confused. Um, but let's just say we both have a key pair and we want to tell, we want to show to someone, um, you know, external to us that we both sign something. Okay. BLS has a primitive where we can uh, basically, let's say I have my signature. You can send me your public key and your signature and I can aggregate them slam them together and then it looks like another, just key pair. Okay. Just a standard prop public key with signature. So you may be like, well, okay, I guess that's kind of cool. You can combine stuff. Well, what you can do with it one is like prove joint ownership of something like Mm -hmm. none of us can produce a signature uh, of this joint public key without combining both of our signatures. Secondly, it's fully asynchronous. So like if we're in a huge network of people, And we're trying to produce a single aggregate signature all the rest of the network has to know is you get the signature bytes which is like 96 bytes and it can represent arbitrary participants having participated so eth2 does this at scale with a lot of what they do so huge credit to them over the last few years for helping to productionize a lot of the libraries that people use for this filecoin Mm -hmm. also it's very popular now in different crypto projects um but, uh, you know, it's a really cool way to just aggregate um, signatures and then show uh, or authenticate uh, that people sign things in a certain way. So awesome. super useful for like group proof of participation. Nice.
0: Uh, and then one other follow up question. Uh, mm-hmm. Does Avalanche uh, plan to support Move in the future?
1: Very good question. So um <laughs> This this goes into what I was saying with the lower level and high level um, kind of concerns. Right. So a prerequisite to that is most of the like move virtual machine is in Rust. So if we didn't have a Rust SDK. It wouldn't really be possible uh, to do that. So our first step is just the Rust SDK. Mm -hmm. And then um, we are very interested in seeing how people adapt it. Um, I think generally speaking. Maintaining a connection to another virtual machine that you didn't really write um, takes a lot of resources and it's very error prone. Um, and so, what we'd like to see is to take the Rust virtual machine we have, or the Rust SDK we have built, and work with people that actually are developing Move and want to take it to different places to actually launch it as a subnet uh, without us having to maintain the virtual machine. That makes sense. Uh, so, are we interested in it? Yeah, definitely. And if you're interested in like kind of trying to create your own Move based chain, we'd yeah. love to talk to you. Um, and uh, what I found out actually for people that aren't familiar is that people talk about move virtual machines just like they talk about the evm like you know you can take your contract from evm whatever and put somewhere else most of the time that's not the case for move uh every dialect of it has a very different feel like a you know a different feel so you can't take a contract for example from you know diem apply it to aptos there's different you know frameworks and things going on with different Mm -hmm. object and how they like kind of give you access to different primitives so it'll be interesting to see if there's also like a, like a, a fork of things because most people would have no idea, yeah. right? You think yeah. move and you're like, all right, yes, you know, when I remove contract turns out it's not players. that way at all. Yeah. And yeah. it's very different. So yeah. I'm curious to see how that plays out. But, um, we think our expertise is much more in the lower level stuff and giving that to, um, that ability to different people. But, uh, you know, um, uh, we're obviously watching it closely. So if we do see like a huge spike in transaction, we may, try harder to get other people to work with us on it. Um, uh,
0: So that's the virtual machine side on the like programming language side. uh, That's another conversation.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think some people have considered like injecting move language into other virtual machines, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: to which we'd be like, uh, (laughs) sounds complicated. Like, uh, I feel like in that effort, you may get the worst of both worlds rather than like the best of both kind Mm -hmm. of combined. So we'd be much more interested, I think, in helping people like having a dedicated virtual machine. If you wanted to like, let's say, extend the subnet EVM to support Move, we'd also love to, you know, check that out. But generally speaking, um, the Move language in general, uh, we would think would be best housed by a dedicated virtual machine for instance.
0: Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, definitely appreciate your time. Uh, maybe we can wrap it up. Uh, I tried to do spicy takes. Uh, I don't, (laughs) I I didn't, I didn't really come up with any spicy questions beforehand. Uh, so maybe I'll just open the floor. Do you have like any spicy takes that you would say are contentious in the space, uh, that, or like an unpopular belief that you hold near and dear to your heart that others do not hold?
1: Um, yeah i think there's two interesting ones uh maybe that i'll i'll share so i um i generally like to think i'm a, a pretty reasonable person like i don't <laughs> i try not to take part in a lot of the crypto twitter like back and forth and stuff like that because i think it's very charged i think you have a lot of people that are interested in certain things for you know any number of a lot reasons. of bag bias but yeah i think uh, i mean for whatever reason i mean i think that uh you know different Different ecosystems have different people that, you know, will periodically share really hot takes about like other ecosystems in general <laughs> and stuff like that. So I uh, try very diff- try very hard to never really like, I don't think it's a good exercise in many cases to talk specifically about other projects because there's usually a lot of context and things that, you know, I may not be aware of and stuff. So I do, I do very, very hard to try away from that. I do think about abstractions though and, uh, you know, how to use them. Um, and one thing that's kind of been interesting to me is like uh, lately, a lot, a lot of interest has gone to the L2 story. Um, right. And the L2 story in a, you know, for I'm, a lot of people have a lot of stuff to say here. So I'm I'm not going to get uh, too crazy about it. But um, generally speaking, I agree in, in general that in a perfect world, it is the most efficient way to process huge amounts of transactions, right? Like if you could have only one node processing everything and then everyone else just like, you know can kind of follow along or verified it and it's provable on a different chain like that seems really cool yeah however i think there are two things um, about l2 that i think people don't really talk about uh much and i think that will be become very pertinent in the next you know six to twelve months one to regulators that i think maybe don't have familiarity with the nuances here from the outside looking in You got one node running on one computer that has a shit ton of state to it. Now, I think as soon as regulators get wise, I don't think they're going to care about the arguments that like it's decentralized because you can (laughs) fraud proof it out. I think that there will be serious legal challenge to people that are operating different L2 batching engines. Um, And I think it's one of the things where like with decentralization, it only matters when it matters. And for L2s, it hasn't really mattered yet. Um, likewise, I think people talk a lot about like L2s being like totally the future, we're already there, like let's get going. If you check out like L2Beat, for example, and it it talks about how far different L2s are along, a lot of them don't have a lot of the features that you would hope that like an L2 that you're putting billions and millions of dollars on would have. Like yeah. you can't like exit, there's no like batch or recovery um and so i i understand that it's a you know a super important part of the story and everything like that but i think it's interesting the narrative in the space really saying that like you know as far as i understand or what i see it's like l2s are the thing like they're here like you know yeah. ditch your everything else you're using in l2s only um without really talking about some of the nuance of like some of the risks that you're taking everything has risks like yeah. i'm not saying yeah. that like there's other projects that you should pick instead or not. Um, but it's just interesting that like, it's it's uh, still a very realistic concern that people haven't gone into. Uh, totally and then agree. lastly, um, maintaining L2s um, with the fraud proof overhead is really complicated because you have to make everything that executes on that L2 executable on another chain. And everything must be that way yep. and executed by another chain. Otherwise you can't, prove the fraud proofs. So uh, initially people thought like, okay, we'll build these super targeted things and like, we'll like kind of fork a ton of stuff to make it work. I think the general uh, approach lately has been to not do that anymore. And instead try and find like a generic compiler for like other chains, which I think is a probably a better direction, but your trusted computing base to run that can sometimes be huge. Um, and keeping that up to date and making sure it works as you make every single change to the upstream like L2. That's a lot of, I think, complexity to worry about and think about as people go. And so I don't think we've had any cases yet because there hasn't been really any um, active fraud proof I've ever seen. Um, But like, it will be interesting to see what if, you know, your fraud proof prover fails and you don't know that (laughs) until it's actually on the chain, right? Um, So I just think that a lot of solutions that a lot of people are pursuing have a lot of complexity, and people tend to talk mostly about um, the potential upside of it um, rather than just, I think, kind of presenting everything. And I'm not one to say that subnets don't have different trade offs as well. Like I'm not here saying like you know, L2s like you know, forget about sub- like forget about them. Like subnets are the way to go. Like subnets have uh, different properties too. Like they're very tightly connected to Avalanche. You know, right now most are controlled by an administrator. So you know. I'm not saying that like you know strictly better or strictly worse. I just think it's there's interesting trade-offs that people will have to make uh, for L2s to be successful, and I'm not sure that a lot of people are talking about those trade-offs.
0: I fully agree. I I think it's funny. Yeah, the optimal design is like the single sequencer, but then to your point, uh, if there's only a single one. There's some drawbacks, and then ultimately, if you start adding multiple sequencers, then you start having to do all the same things that you would with kind of a normal blockchain, with like the
1: data propagation, and uh, it's well, just kind of you end up like recreating a blockchain exactly. again. Kind exactly. Of, and then you're like, <laughs> it, I mean, it just it reminds me of some other like kind of like state channel stuff that people tried to do for a while. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, we don't need the blockchain. Actually, we can just do everything in state channels, and then you realize that you're just building another blockchain on yeah. top of blockchain state channels. And so like, as you get into the multi-sequencer world, I think you kind of get into very interesting territory. Exactly. Um, exactly. but, uh, you know, with, uh, with multi-sequencer in general, uh, you know, I think it just, there's a, there's a large looming legal regulatory battle with L2s and I'm very curious to see how it plays out at, you know, I hope for the, you know, hope innovation wins. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've, in recent weeks, it's it's uh, certainly come under under question whether or not that will always be the case. So, um, you know, uh, I think the last thing I'll leave on this topic with is um, subnets uh, actually provide a lot of the stuff that you would need to build an L2, like a, a lot of the consensus stuff for you. So you could just have any number of sequencers per tr- contribute and then still produce a single state route that you could then checkpoint to an L1 if you wanted. So we haven't seen anyone build a subnet as an L2 yet on Avalanche, but we think that that will happen, um, You know, maybe not next three months, but something that people will certainly look into in the next 12 months if they don't want to rely on their own security of the subnet, or they wanna have like a recovery pattern yeah. where like maybe they do trust their own security, but in the case where shit hits the fan, uh, maybe they wanna have a, a checkpoint to recover to um, in the case that they're not maybe doing strictly fraud proving. So uh, I think there's a lot of interesting collaborations here and there. I think we had the first L2 launch in Avalanche uh, two weeks ago or so nice. with Boba. Nice. Um, so uh, that, that was always a funny narrative one. It's yep. like Subnets, L2s, like you, <laughs> you, you can have L2s. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's just a chain, right? Yeah, like, yeah. whatever people want to do. So, Definitely,
0: yeah. um, awesome. Uh, really appreciate your time, Patrick. Thank you again. Uh, I think a lot of people will enjoy watching and listening to this conversation. Any final parting words uh, before we hop off?
1: Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I think we covered pretty much everything I wanted to kind of chat about. Um, thank you for you know hosting me. I, I always love doing this. This is my, my first podcast. So you yeah, never thank know, you, thank uh, you how for being goes. the first. Yeah. Uh, well, not only the live thing, but like my first podcast I've actually ever done. Um, so we'll see uh, how that went. But uh, thank you for the recommendation for the uh, the podcasting microphone. There we go. I, got, I got my <laughs> first my first podcasting mic. But, uh, you know, I think um, I, I think it's a really, uh, you know, with the bear mark and everything like that, sometimes it takes pe- wind out of people's sails. But I do have to say that the parting thought I had is I've never been, more excited to be in crypto and be part of what everyone's doing. I think that the things, you know, not just us, but just across the space people are doing are uh so inspiring. I um it's great to be part of it. And uh, you know, I think that uh the the cumulative work of all of us uh you know will 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 make massive changes in the world around us. And so uh it's just really exciting to see that really come come to truth before our eyes. It's just uh, super inspiring. So yeah.
0: I fully agree. Uh, I think that's a perfect place to end it on. Uh, Thank you again, Patrick. It was a pleasure. Uh, Awesome. We'll end it there.